invite you now to accompany us on a short journey through Hollywood, the film capital of the world, a suburb of Los Angeles. What's your favorite movie? I mean, my favorite movie is just on the Patreon. Yeah, subscribe to the Patreon for my like hour long rant about Jojo Rabbit, how much I love it. Yeah, subscribe to the Patreon for movies and mimosas. I don't know when we're doing the next one, but I think the next one's supposed to be The Mummy, right? Yep, it's just Alana's two favorite movies. <laughs> don't you worry, when can... we get to the third one, it'll be someone else's. Okay. I yeah. almost spilled tea all over, so if you got some good ASMR of my spoon flying up in the air. <laughs> oh, Cappy! I know, I'm a mess, Cap. I was going to say, I was thinking about this a lot when like doing chores, I think I've strayed away, like, because of award season, because I used to love watching all the fashion for, like, the Grammys, the Emmys, the Oscars, Golden Globes, all those, even though the Grammys and Tonys are not necessarily film. But now with it being just so trashy of some of the, like, movies and films and TV shows being nominated that I'm just like, these are scummy. The people being nominated. The Golden Globes got canceled. Yeah, like the Golden Globes. I hate that like term. Not they like got canceled. canceled. No, 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 no. Not they got canceled. canceled. Exactly. They like, like got canceled. Like, like canceled. Yeah, but they just got canceled. They got canceled. Like, like NBC canceled, canceled. said, fuck off. <laughs> I did a BuzzFeed search like I always do for Patreon. So again, subscribe to our Patreon if you like this segment. BuzzFeed recently had like one of those things of what happens in real life, but you don't see in like TV or movies and allergies is one of those things. I feel like you do not have seasonal allergies in movies and I get it for the audio. And I was reading this list because a lot of them were like hiccups and other audio related issues because they were just like fuck with the audio. But I would love to have just some character have a seasonal allergy. Captain America? He needs his flonays before he zoops up into the air. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Lexi, have you ever done any acting? No, never. Oh, I thought you were going to say something like, I act like I like you guys all the time. No, that's kind of what I, like I planned you guys for. A lot. Like a joke. See, you would say that. And then I'd say, just kidding. But I would never say that. And Haley, what's your star quality? My humor, my funny words. And I'm Alana, and I grew up in Southern California. Um, I did act. Did you really? I did highly problematic plays for my school, and I deeply regret. Tell us about them. it. And like, I'm truly ashamed of it. And I don't even know if I want this like on, but like, I'll talk about sixth grade one because that's the one that like, I have not blocked my trauma out. In my school for plays, the senior musical was 100% peer pressure. If you were not in the senior musical, you were one of five kids who just like either were quote the problem child, epic losers. Like it was peer pressure to be in it. Like you were- What if you couldn't sing or dance or act? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. You were still in it. You were on ensemble or you were in a tree or whatever. Yeah. Like, or you did backstage stuff. <laughs> Who like, came to watch the play then? 
if like, everyone all the was in the play. And then, like you're on it was very weird. It was very peer pressure And we all had to audition. Like I sang Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. But sixth grade was Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, which I feel is just not the right play for minors. Was it a kid's version? Was it censored? No, because I was a go-go dancer. I was an Egyptian, which now looking back on it, again, like questionable. Because I can't I mean geographically. It. Yeah, makes sense. But like the way we got there, I was not talented. Hey, at, all. at least they had a brown girl play the Egyptian. That's true. So I'm now thinking of like <laughs> they got one Egyptian. point. She can be trusted. How do you know? A woman's intuition. So content warning for this story. This story will talk about racism, fetishism, sexism, misrepresentation, all that stuff in Hollywood. So feel free to skip ahead to post the commercials if you don't want to hear about that stuff today. That's totally cool. So Anna Mae Wong was the first Asian American Hollywood star. She is also yet another lady I studied at the Smithsonian Libraries while working on the Women America Extraordinary Project. So as per usual, um, and guess what? My lady next week is also from that project. So the actress who would be known by the stage name Anna Mae Wong was born Wong Liu Song, the daughter of Chinese Americans in 1905 in Los Angeles, California. Her grandfather had come to America in the mid-19th century, but sadly died while his son, Anna's father, was still quite young. When Anna was born, she was the second of eight siblings, and her father and mother owned and operated a laundry in Los Angeles' bustling Chinatown. The silent movie industry was also growing in Los Angeles at this time, and Chinatown quickly became the backdrop for the films. Anna became enamored with the thrill of the movie industry, watching as her neighborhood became a set for major productions, and after appearing as an extra in a film called The Red Lantern, Anna quickly began gaining a following and securing more roles. By the age of just 17, she had left high school to pursue acting full-time and was cast in a leading role in the film The Toll of the Sea. She was often stereotyped being placed in roles as a dragon lady, quote-unquote, or an enslaved woman. Her physical features as an Asian woman were fetishized. Despite her rising popularity, Anna was unable to obtain a leading role because at the time, law prohibited interracial affection on and off screen. In an interview, she once said, I can't for the life of me understand why a white man can't fall in love with me on screen without breaking some terrible censorship laws. Anna quickly realized directors preferred to cast non-Asians in Asian roles, particularly for this reason. More often than not, Anna was playing alongside a cast entirely made up of white men and women, some in yellow face. In the 1930s, she auditioned for the lead role in the film adaptation of the book, The Good Earth. Even though the main character in the book was a Chinese woman, Anna was rejected for the role. Instead, the part was given to a German actress, Louise Rayner. Louise played the part in yellow face. She won an Academy Award for the role. This event had a huge impact on Anna. Disheartened, Anna stepped away from the limelight and spent time traveling to China to connect with her heritage. In the 1950s, she returned to Hollywood and became the first Asian American lead in an American TV show, starring in The Gallery of Madame Lu Song, the title character being named after Anna's birth name. Unfortunately, little value was given to TV archives in the mid-20th century, and all known copies of the show have been lost. It is unlikely that any episodes of her show will ever be recovered. In 1961, after a career that spanned across film, TV, and Broadway, 
She died at the age of just 56 years old. Because I feel like someone is going to bring it up, you know, in the comments or something. In 2020, she was portrayed on the show Hollywood on Netflix. And quite frankly, I hated it. I hated the way they portrayed her. And that's all I'm going to say on it. So I don't suggest you watch it or support the way they portrayed her. Oh, no, because I've been dying to watch that show. I mean, you Jim can watch Parsons. it, but the way like, they portray the her. Other ca- like some of the other main cast. The way they oh, portray no. her is real poopoo doo doo. I mean, they're portraying her in the time period in which she is watching a German woman in yellow face win an Academy Award for a role they won't give her. Yeah. So it's the worst part of her life. Yeah. And I just think she deserves better than that. Oh, abs- now that I got this heads up. But she's not the main character of the show, and the show is about lots fast of other forward. Things. Yeah, maybe you just skip those parts. Or scream. <laughs> how, how does one do yellow face? So, like, eyeliner and face oh, paint eyeliner. and changing someone's appearance to make them appear more Asian. If you've ever seen the movie Sayonara. I mean, I got I got that it was changing. Yeah, Sayonara oh, I was just, is like, a wondering, really good like, example. Like, it's usually eyeliner, eyeliner seems to be the big... And then also like taping up the eyelids. Yeah, taping face, taping the face back to make the face more like, you know, that's horrible. Um, Yeah, you do that, the eye thing that every single fucking third and fourth grader in my elementary school thought was so fucking hilarious to pull your eyes back. And also like the hairstyles, like making someone dye their hair black (laughs) or wear a black wig. And then also the the dress and the attire because- you know, a lot of these these movies she was in, they were really stereotypical versions of traditional Asian attire. And a lot of them, there were a bunch of white people playing Asian people. And then she was also there, which is a whole weird thing. But you can download free anime Wong postcards on the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center website, and they are pretty cool. I'll have Alana link that in our show notes. Also, a lot of her movies are completely free to watch because some of them are from like pre-1920, whatever the year is for current copyright renewal, 95 years. And I have some of those on the YouTube playlist that Haley will make. And I also have some trailers for other ones that aren't free so that you can kind of get a good gist of all her work. But I did want to warn everyone that there are some racial slurs and some comments about Anna's characters that are not tasteful. And there is yellow face in quite a few of them. In fact, I think the vast majority of her movies have other characters in yellow face. And so Anna is a stunning performer in all of them, of course. But I just advise you to watch thoughtfully and with caution. You know, I wish sometimes old movies would come with like a little warning. Like I know they do that with cartoons now with the Looney Tunes. There's like a little warning, like, you know, this part might have some racism. I think the the old ones, Disney Plus did that too. Yeah. And yeah. I'll write in the with the description so of the playlist. Pop up on the playlist. Yeah, because we're not I'll endorsing the, the yellow face. Mm-hmm. Just that's the movies Anna's in because nope. you know Asian men couldn't be in Hollywood. Oh no, obviously that was sarcasm. But yeah, I also included some further learning on modern yellow face because guess what? Hollywood still does that. What the fuck? <laughs> it's 2021. But yes, there is modern problems with Yellowface, including some very famous celebrities. You may have forgotten did Yellowface, but did it really recently. And to this day, no Asian American woman has won the award from the Academy Award for Best Actress. And it just seems crazy that this year, the second ever Asian woman won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, but there's still none in the Best Actress category. Not that the Academy Awards mean much to me since 
they hella racist, but I think it's really, I guess my comment is, I think it's lovely that the Academy Awards are like, oh, Korean film, interesting, but they're like almost perpetuating like a, a fetishism and foreignness of Asian film instead of actually supporting Asian American actresses and actors. What's up with that? Like going back to what we were saying at the beginning of the episode, like it's ruining films for me. Like how these award shows and just how like production companies as a whole actors. So I don't actresses. watch American TV anymore, honestly. Very limited. It's, very, it's very limited. Me very limited American TV. Also, Asian male leads like never get a chance in Hollywood ever. I mean, I mean, we do have Marvel's finally gonna have an Asian male lead in a movie, which I guess, okay, Disney, okay, all right. Are you gonna fuck it up like you fucked up Mulan? Oof, oof. Are you? Are you gonna fuck it up like you fucked up Mulan? I don't know. Probably. Disney has a lot to make up for just like as a company. Listen, they brought out Moana and our expectations got really raised for like diversity and quality of <laughs> diverse storytelling. I you said they brought out Moana. They, Moana like raised the level. They were like oh, totally. Pacific Islander like, representation. So indigenous I love representation. Yeah. Like they- It's one of my favorite movies. Feminism, yeah. you know, like women's relationships. Yeah. Women's relationships women's with relationships, their ancestors. There's no romantic relationship because she's a minor you love connection to, to our that. ancestors is so representative of indigenous communities anyway the so we all got teased and then beautiful. Mulan was like the Chinese government told us to do this you know it was just not <sighs> you know hi I'm Abby I'm Liv and this is untold high story a quirky little pod where we smoke lots of weed and tell each other stories about women-centered history We smoke, we speculate, and we discuss why we should have learned about some seriously amazing women from the past. So toke up, tune in, and learn about women from women. Available to download wherever you listen. Cheers! Cheers! one that I've researched the most on partially because a lot of a lot of my research had to come from websites from India and England and some that would work one day and the next day I would get the error symbol but oh well I really liked it I'm interested I'm now watching a lot of movies from their bibliography of movies is that that thing we'll go with it so who am I talking about? I'm talking about Newton Samarth Ball, but mononymously as Newton, like Cher, Prince, all those people. I don't know why. I kind of want to just go by Haley now on. Like, that's pretty cool. I love them one name. Newton, who was a film star in Indian cinema's golden era, or that's basically what so, so many people refer to her as. My standard apology of mispronouncing any names, people's places, or movies. Again, I tried really hard. I have my sticky note with my Haley versions. YouTube videos were a great help, but I am not perfect, so please bear with me. 
And I also, with the YouTube videos, you'll see the YouTube videos, but I really relied on this Google Arts and Culture post by Monish Ball titled Newton, The Family Albums, because I'm at the point of my life where consuming a lot of information, like articles, books, is just weighing on my brain cells. This person also attached a lot of YouTube videos and pictures, which is exactly how I learned. So if you're the same where you just want to click through, get bits of information along with a nice YouTube video or picture, check that out in the show notes. So back to Newton. She came from cinema royalty with her mother, Shobana, an actress, and her father, Kusumaran, a filmmaker and Marathi poet. And they really fostered an environment for her to explore acting. And her actual debut was at age 14 in Humari Betty in 1950, which was also directed by her mother. So true like mother-daughter duo here. Go listen to our Mother's Day episode because one of my favorite episodes. However, these early films weren't big hits. So her family basically said like, let's go to finishing school. Let's work on your education and then revisit this. That education would be very beneficial to her, especially if these movies weren't being big hits. And she ended up going to finishing school in Switzerland. But don't worry, this period did not last long. In total, she was featured in over 70 films. And some of these most well-known or most known are included Sima, Bandini, and Milan. And she actually won the Filmfare Award for Best Actress in 1957 for Sima. And so many other awards that she held the record for five wins of the Best Actress Filmfare Award for over 30 years. And that record was actually only broken just recently by another actress. That's pretty impressive. And I believe the Filmfare Awards are exclusive to Indian cinema because I couldn't find it anywhere else. So as an actress, she was noted to have like a very wide range of characters And some people actually called this like unconventional. She had unconventional characters. Like even one phrase used like the quote, unorthodox Indian woman. So really like she was seen, especially for like the 50s, 60s, 70s, as someone who is an out of the box actress trying new things and landing these roles that you wouldn't expect of a typical actress, which you know what, kudos, because it really played in her favor. And her acting was so powerful that audience said that like they could feel her just acting and giving it her all, bringing this huge life into the character and that the character was an extension of herself. That when they were watching her movies that they didn't feel like they were in a movie theater or at their TV home. They thought that she was right there in front of them. And if you needed a little more convincing on how completely cool she was on June 4th, 2017, for her 81st birthday, she was the Google Doodle. That's just like, once I know you're a Google Doodle, you've made it. That's when you know you've made it. Right? (laughs) You're the Google Doodle. Exactly. So with those like extremely modern characters for the time, she also acted in swimsuits and used more of her body language. So I think that was more of the representative of how she just like, she blossomed. She, She was such a fantastic actress. I... Truly, I spent so much, so many hours just watching YouTube videos and trying to see these films um, on like Netflix or just YouTube. YouTube's your best friend. You'll look it up. You might see the whole movie. It's great. 
And another fun fact, and I had no idea where to put this in, but I knew Alana would really like this. She loved dogs. At one point, her family took care of 22 dogs. Yeah, it was like some note in the Google. It was like one of the last notes for the Google uh, Arts and Culture. And I think it was like her son even mentioning that her favorite dog was Cupid, a French teacup poodle. They were just like inseparable. Like the teacup poodle just followed her around everywhere. Cupid was her Cupid. That's so cute. Are there pictures? There are pictures. The Google Arts and Culture has a lot of pictures. It was a great time looking for this, yes. And I spent many hours looking at dog pictures too. BuzzFeed published an article called, quote, BuzzFeed, 18 favorite classic Bollywood celebrities that you should have known about yesterday, written by Nurserat Sultana and included her as number 11. So I actually struggled on whether I wanted to include this bit because the term Bollywood is now seen as an outdated term with the very Western origins. We've seen Hollywood. Hollywood came first, very Western origins, and it doesn't actually encompass all of Indian film. And I am totally not the person to be educating on this topic of whether or not to use Bollywood as a term again, because it's still widely used, especially for like BuzzFeed. A lot of articles also came from BuzzFeed. So I tried to like pare this down and use the most recent, but it should be talked about because a lot of people have been debating this and I've included some articles that I found on the topic. And I totally do not know enough information about Bollywood or not to Bollywood as a term for our vernacular, but it's an important convo to bring up. And I've included some articles that I found on the topic because while Newton herself wasn't mentioned in these articles or in the debate as a whole necessarily, for various reasons, I thought it was still important to include because she is a part of Indian cinema. And India cinema is very huge, very fantastic, very wonderful. And I highly recommend going to watch more of those films. I think I have a fat crush on her. <laughs> I have a huge crush on her. And I felt bad because when I was reading some articles, like in interviews, she was like, oh, I'm a very private person. And I was like, I'm putting you on a podcast right now, but I'm committed. So my lady for this week is... Hedy Lamar again. Uh, this is our first two-part lady. I'm very excited. I'm a pioneer. I'm a trailblazer. I hope that this opens the not unspoken barrier, but like kind of the unspoken barrier that we can only talk about a woman once. Bring us all these ladies. Let's talk about them again. I love it. So to summarize what I said last week for our ladies in tech, Hedy Lamar was a Scorpio born November 9th, 1914 in Vienna, Austria. She was an only child. So she got lots of attention from her parents. Her father was into mechanics and her mother was a concert pianist. So she had STEM and arts influences. We talked about that being STEAM last week. Go listen to last week's episode. It's a good one. Director Max Reinhardt sort of discovered her when she was 16. And she studied acting with him in Berlin. And then he put her in a little German movie in 1930. But her breakout role was as Eva Herman in the Czech film Ecstasy. I want to talk about the Czech film Ecstasy, and I want to talk about it forever because this is kind of the reason I wanted to do Hedy Lamar for my actress. And this story is pretty horny, so skip a few minutes if maybe that makes you uncomfortable. My parents listen to this show. 
So the Czech film Ecstasy was released in Czechoslovakia in 1932, back when Czechoslovakia existed. Some of my sources said 1933. I literally cannot find an exact year, even an exact release year for this movie. Like, I think it might have been released in different European countries in different years. Side note, Czechoslovakia existed until the early 90s, which I don't know what in my brain was like, I thought the split was a World War II thing, but no, it was a collapse of the Soviet Union thing. Oh, yes, it was. Wild. I don't know a lot about Eastern European history, which is weird. My mom learned about the Soviet Union in school. My mom I'm... taught about the Soviet Union in school, and yeah. that's how, that's that's the difference in age of our parents. Well... <laughs> So quick plot synopsis of ecstasy. Young Eva, Hedy Lamar, gets married to a much older man who doesn't want to have sex with her on their wedding night. So Eva goes to take a horny skinny dip in a nearby lake and her horse gets spooked and runs off with her clothes. So Eva has to chase this horse in full frontal nudity. Uh, a laborer named Adam, haha, get it, so funny, Adam and Eve, uh, but Adam catches the horse and is very helpful. And then Eva is like, fuck, he's hot. And they have sex. And my parents listened to the show. And so this was the first time that sex and nudity had been shown in a non-porn movie. Uh, and you might be thinking, hey, Alana, that sounds a lot like porn. And to that, I would say Game of Thrones wasn't considered porn. And this sex scene is way more tasteful than literally every single sex scene in Game of Thrones. But Outlander is old white lady porn. Yeah. <laughs> Middle-aged white lady porn. Be nice to my mother. <laughs> I mean, I watch Outlander too, so... <laughs> Anyways, this sex scene is much more tasteful than any any given sex scene in Game of Thrones. All you see is her face and like the clavicle up, it's collarbone, and she like drops her pearls. It's a very interesting visual cue. Earlier, you do see all of everything. And once again, my parents listen to the show. My grandmother listens to the show. Hi, Nana. Welcome to Lady History. <laughs> So this is the first female orgasm that's been shown on TV, except not. Uh, like, it's pretty obvious that that's supposed to be what's happening but behind the scenes fun fact that is kind of icky the actor her like male counterpart is poking her bare ass with a safety pin to get those faces and movements huh? excuse yeah. me and so the first time you watch it you're like sure she's having a good time and then you learn that pin thing and you're like oh she is in pain this is not fun they couldn't just tell like her to fake it i don't know huh i, I mean, am confusion yeah there was more icky behind the scenes stuff on that movie in general hetty was 18 one of my sources said she was 15 but she was not the math just doesn't work on that like even at the time of filming she was definitely 18 but like the scene where where she's running naked across a field she was like, okay, I'll do this, but only if you film it like a wide shot so you can't really like get all that close. And they were like, yeah, sure, Hetty, whatever you need. And then they used a telephoto lens and so you can see all of everything. Rude. There is a daily show piece in Further Learning about the history of women's orgasms in film that is really interesting. It, of course, focuses on cisgender women because trans representation, I believe the technical term is shit, but I don't know. Uh, that's a different rant. My brain had a fog and I thought you were saying trans representation is shit. And I was like, <laughs> hold up. We no. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> In Europe, this movie was hailed by some as like a sophisticated and elegant approach to sexuality. And as some like the Pope at the time as like immoral and bad and, you know, bad. 
however anyone thought of it, they labeled Hetty as this kind of like slutty femme fatale that would follow her everywhere. That that moniker, that like cloud. If you remember from last week, at this time in her life, she was trapped in this kind of abusive, unhappy marriage to an arms dealer and Nazi sympathizer named Fritz Mandel, and he hated this movie. Part of why Hetty ended up leaving, if you remember, on Bicycle in the middle of the night, was because she wanted to be an actress, and he basically wouldn't let her. And when Hetty met Louis Mayer, who, if you remember from last week, took her from London to Hollywood, put a morality clause in her contract in response to ecstasy. I don't know about the other actors in this movie, but I have a feeling they were not made to sign morality clauses in contracts. While Hetty continued acting until 1958, she absolutely hated Hollywood culture, even saying, quote, any girl can be glamorous. All you have to do is stand still and look stupid. She almost definitely preferred inventing. See last week's episode about Howard Hughes giving her little mechanisms, stuff to tinker with in her trailer. And the ecstasy girl moniker, like I was saying, followed her throughout her career. And I wonder if maybe she would have liked acting in Hollywood better if she hadn't been sexualized like that, or even if she hadn't done ecstasy at all, done the film ecstasy at yeah, all. Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about her doing drugs. No, the film is called ecstasy. <laughs> I, I understand. And maybe if she hadn't done the film. <laughs> that was what I really wanted to focus on for this story. So just some final wrap-up life stuff. Hedy Lamar became a U.S. citizen in 1953 and had a handful of very short marriages, like one year to seven years. I guess that seems short to me, but I don't know. When it's your fourth marriage in seven years, it does kind of seem short. These marriages were to other prominent figures, but only to one actor. And she had three children, but remained single for the last 35 years of her life before she died in 2000. The documentary Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story is available to rent on Amazon and was made by a woman. So that's cool, even though you have to use Amazon to watch it. We all make sacrifices. Or sometimes maybe, we don't. Maybe there are other places to rent it. You can rent it from YouTube or Google Play. Not that these corporations are that much better, but at least it's not Amazon. Is it less money? It's $2.99 everywhere. Ah, it's $3.99 on Amazon, so get it from YouTube or Google Play. Oh, yeah, these all say $2.99, so uh, do that. Also, I'm a huge fan of getting DVDs from your local library. Nobody has a DVD player anymore, though. Hey, I the do. DV- do you really? Yeah, I have a DVD player. That's how I get all my movies now. It's like my old DVDs and then going to the library. That's incredible. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Lexi B. Draws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. And Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, it'll probably be the best episode ever because we're talking about our lovely home, the museum. So saddle up, get ready to explore one of my favorite places in the world. I'll tell you what, our banter is going to be the best for that episode.